Well, good morning to all of you in Quakertown. A big welcome to you. Uh, miss you guys a ton. I'll be up there next week. Can't wait to see you guys over there. And a big happy Thanksgiving to you. A big happy Thanksgiving to all of you watching online. A big happy Thanksgiving to all of you in this room. I love Thanksgiving. Uh, one of the things that I love about Thanksgiving, I do love Thanksgiving on its own. Before I, uh, People judge what I'm about to say, but I love Thanksgiving on its own. But I love that it springs forward into the Christmas season. You know, the next day after Thanksgiving, our family, we set up the Christmas tree, and we are really excited here at Calvary Church about the Christmas season. Uh, We're excited about our Christmas services that are coming up. Uh, And so you may have received a card on your way in. Uh, It is our Christmas invite. It says rejoice because that's what we're going to be doing this Christmas season. We're going to be celebrating the birth of our Savior, Jesus. Uh, And so if you look on there, you'll see that December 23rd, there are two services at 6 o'clock, both in Quakertown and in Sourton. There's one service in each. That's what I meant by two. I hope you understood that. On the 24th, there are a service at Quakertown and Sourton at 4 o'clock, and then Sourton has one at 6 o'clock on the 24th. So five total services that you can invite someone to. There are four things that we want you to do. Four things. You ready? One, we want you to come. Come to our Christmas services. All of you online... Yeah, I want you here. So make sure you come to our Christmas services. Uh, so we want you to come. We also want you to serve. Uh, we could have some needs for volunteers, especially in our family ministries. So if you can help out with that, that'd be great. Uh, you can sign up to do that. We also want you to invite someone. Uh, so make sure you don't keep this, or if you need, you can make a photocopy or take a picture with your phone and then give this away. We want you to invite someone. And the reason why we want you to invite someone is not just because we're going to have a fun, creative service. And we are going to have a fun, creative service, but here's why we want you to invite someone. We believe that there's someone that you know, there's someone that you know that needs to hear the good news of Jesus. There's someone that you know that needs to have their life impacted by the gospel, and we want to tell them that good news. So the only way we can tell them is for you to bring them here. So go out and invite someone to our Christmas services. And finally, the last thing we want you to do is we want you to pray. We want you to pray like crazy for those who will be coming to our Christmas services and that lives will be impacted by the gospel and that things will never be the same again. So that's what we want you to do for Christmas. And before we get there, we need to finish our series that we're in. We're in a series called Impact. Uh, And if you're new to Calvary Church, what you need to know is that we live lives according to the values of connect and impact. And what we say is as we connect with God and he impacts our lives, we are sent to connect with others and impact their lives with the gospel. So we're going to continue that series for the next couple of weeks, but we're ending 1 John today. Next week we'll look at 2 John, then the following week we'll look at 3 John. But we're ending 1 John today. And what was very interesting as I was studying this, it was very interesting I was looking at commentaries on this passage. I kept reading the same theme over and over as I was studying the passage I was supposed to preach. And in this passage, here's what I heard. This is what I learned. Everyone kept saying that there are some of the most difficult, obscure... And hard to explain sentences in this passage in comparison to the rest of the letter. The only reason I tell you that is because if you see Charles giggling or Josh giggling in the corner over there, that's why they're giggling. They're like, ah, not it. It's all on you. But we're going to learn it together. We're going to figure it out. We're going to go and take a look at this. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. 
We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. There's a lot there. Just so you know, there's a lot there, and we're going to unpack a lot today, and we probably still won't get through all of it. So we're going to unpack a lot today, but we're going to look at three themes as we look at this passage. And we're going to look at the themes of testimony, we're going to look at the themes of assurance, and we're going to look at the themes of guidance. Testimony, assurance, and guidance. Let's start with the testimony. We need to understand why John was writing this letter. We've said it before, but we need to understand why John is writing this letter. John is writing this letter as a response. What has been happening is that there are people in the church that he's writing to, there are people in the area around where he's writing to, that have been spreading false teaching about Jesus. They've been spreading false beliefs about Jesus, and the result of these false teachings have been fractured relationships, have been a divided church, have been pain, have been hurt, and there's also been many who have a crisis of faith. They find themselves in a crisis of faith. And so John steps in, and what's happening is it's basically like Jesus is on trial almost in John's mind, and he has to step in in defense, and what he does is he presents a testimony on behalf of Jesus. He presents a testimony about the the correct understanding of who Jesus is. And so he presents this testimony, And we get this this turning from this theme of love that John has been talking about to this this doctrine, this doctrine of Christ. And then he gives us all this this language, this this blood and water language. What's all of that about? Like, what's going on with that blood and water? Well, I need you to understand that actually there's been disagreements for centuries about what this language means. For some, they will say that this language means uh, the sacraments of baptism and communion. Uh, for, for others, they'll talk about, uh, this is pointing to when Jesus is on the cross and the spear is thrust into his side and the Bible tells us that blood and water came out. Uh, for others, they will talk about how this is symbolic of Jesus' life. When he's baptized, he goes into the water. His identity is declared. His mission is declared. When he's on the cross and the blood is shed, his mission is completed. That's, that's, that's what they will say. The point of the matter is this. For centuries, people have disagreed about this. We're not going to figure it out today on one Sunday. 
We need to understand why John was writing what he was writing, not specifically point out, well, what exactly was the meaning of blood and water? The reason he was writing, again, he was addressing incorrect beliefs about Jesus. And one of the incorrect beliefs about Jesus was diminishing the nature of Jesus, diminishing um, uh, uh, his very nature. And what he was saying was, is that the spirit of the Christ came on Jesus when he was baptized, is what they were spreading this thing. And then it left when he was when he was about to get crucified, or uh, what they were saying is that the, the, the person of the Christ was different than the human Jesus, they, that, that, that they were diminishing his divine nature, they were diminishing his human nature, they, was, they were just stripping it apart, and, and John steps in and says, no, no. What you need to understand is that Jesus was born of a human birth, that he died a human death, and that he was fully divine. John is reinforcing what's called the doctrine of incarnation, of when God comes in flesh. And he's saying that this is non-negotiable. And he's setting this whole um, foundation here of explaining this whole doctrine of who Jesus is. And he's starting to correct the narratives, the incorrect narratives that have been spread. And so he provides a testimony of who Jesus is, and that God makes himself known through his son, Jesus. Jesus was sent into the world in human flesh and died a human death while being divine in nature, and it's vitally important for the Christian believer to believe in that full doctrine, in the full doctrine of Jesus. We have to understand the truth about Jesus. Jesus cannot be simply who we make him out to be. He is who he is. So John presents this testimony, and the reason he presents this testimony is because he's laying a foundation. Because what I told you before is that there were people with a crisis of faith. There were people who were struggling in their faith. And what he understands is, is that while he sends this foundation of testimony, sets this foundation of who Jesus is, he's setting that foundation because he needs to transition in a moment and transition to a moment of assurance. There's a need for the readers of his letter to be assured of their faith to be assured of their faith. I said earlier uh, that we were talking about testimony. There's an interesting thing uh, when we look at that, uh, that word testimony in, in the passage that we just read. 17 times John uses the word testimony in his letter. He uses it 17 times, the word for testimony or testify. Ten of those times are in the uh, part we just read. John is doing something here. He's doing something by repeating something over and over to stress its importance. The reason I tell you that is because when we transition over to assurance, John does the same thing. He uses words repeatedly. He uses, we know, we know, we know. And John is using this repetition of words. John is using these things not because he wants them to be confident in a knowledge base, but he wants to be confident in their faith. Their faith is not simply about intellectual knowledge, but it's about faith. Because, And he set that foundation earlier with the testimony because in order to be confident in what you know, you have to be sure of who you know. And so he gives three assurances. He gives an assurance of life, he gives an assurance of access, and he gives an assurance of protection. Assurance of life, assurance of access, and assurance of protection. In verse 13, John talks about eternal life and being assured of your salvation. But prior to that, he sets up the reason that we can be assured. He sets up the reason why we can have assurance of life. 
in verses 11 through 12. In 11 to 12, it says this. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Here's what all that boils down to. If we have Jesus, we have life. If we have Jesus, we have life. Life cannot be had without Jesus. Now, if you're new to the church, you're new to the Bible, you're new to this whole Christian thing, you might be sitting there and you, that might sound a little weird because here's the reality. We're all in this room and we're breathing. I think so. We're all in this room and we're breathing. Everyone in Quakertown, they're sitting there, they're breathing. All of you online and all the rooms that you're in, you're breathing. You're probably eating breakfast right now. Save me some bacon. But we're alive, right? Like, we're, we're alive. But what we need to understand is that the Bible tells us that we are not just physically alive, that there is a spiritual side to us. There's a spiritual nature. And when we enter into the story, we are spiritually dead because of sin. Sin is when we reject God. And there is a need for that, a solution to that sin. There is a need to transfer from death to life. There is a need to be reborn. And the only way that can happen, the only way that can occur is through Jesus. Forever, throughout time, humanity has tried to solve that solution on their own, whether it's by good works, whether it's by going to church, whatever it is, it can't happen. What John is saying is the only way to have life is to have Jesus. And though the question remains, the only question that actually matters that we have to answer is, do you have Jesus? Do you have Jesus? That is the only question that needs to be answered. And if you do, then be assured. Walk around with assurance. You have been given life. But not only have you been given life, you have been given access. You have been given access to God. John transitions and he begins to talk about this assurance of access to God through what we call prayer. What we call prayer. And he's saying, be confident in presenting your request before God because of who God is. I'm going to tell you all a story that I've used once before a few years ago in a sermon. Okay? I've already used this. It's a repeat. I'm telling you ahead of time. The reason I'm, I'm painstakingly telling you ahead of time is because my wife criticized me for telling you a repeat story. And she said, get new material. And I want to say to her, sure, as soon as you and the kids give me some. <laughs> it takes a village, Jen. It takes a village. <laughs> a few years ago, when my daughter Autumn was younger, one night she comes into our bedroom, and it's a school night, so she comes into our bedroom, and she's like, uh, Daddy, uh, I want to ask you something but I know that you're going to say no, so I don't want to ask you, so oh, I'm not going to ask you. At that point, I should have said, okay, good night. <laughs> but I was like, you can tell me whatever you want. You can tell me. I'm your dad. I love you. You can tell me whatever you want. <sighs> okay, I'm going to ask you. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to ask you. No, no. And I'm like, all right. Okay, you can tell me whatever you want. I'm your dad. I love you. And she goes, okay, I know tomorrow, the school, I have to get up early, it's a school night, 
but I really want to watch this movie, so can I stay up late and watch a movie? And inside I'm like, are you kidding me? This is what this whole drama was about? But that's not what I said. What I said was, was that so hard? You can ask me anything. I'm your dad. I love you. Do you understand? Do you understand that I love you? Yes. Do you understand you can ask me anything? Yes. Okay, the answer is no. Go to bed. <laughs> the way that Autumn approached me is oftentimes how we approach God, and that's not what John is saying. John is saying to come with, with confidence before, before God and present your request. There's an assurance of access. But what's interesting is, that God can still say no. God can still say no. The assurance of access isn't based on outcome. It's based on the one who determines the outcome. It's based on the fact that even if he says no, he's still God, he's still our father, he still loves us, and he still knows best. So if you are coming before God, come before him with complete confidence in who he is, not in an outcome. And then there's this weird thing that John does here. John tells uh, the believers, the people who are reading his stuff, to, to pray for each other, to pray for each other. But he has this weird thing there, right? He has this thing like, I'm not saying to pray for the sin that leads to death and all that. And all right, here's the deal. I've studied a lot for this because I looked at that and I was like, ooh, we're going to have questions about this one. So I've read and I've studied and I've looked into this to give you an answer about what this all means. Uh, the sin comes uh, that does not lead to death. Okay, you ready? I don't know. <laughs> but I'm in good company because, again, for centuries, people have disagreed on what this means. Sometimes they point to the Old Testament and they point to the fact that some of the sins that were given led to death, led to the penalty of death. Um, there's some holes in that because John's not really talking about physical stuff up until this point. Uh, sometimes they point to the fact of willful sins versus inadvertent sins. Uh, in the medieval times, this passage was used as, um, as a, a, a reason to uh, create mortal sins and venial sins. And if you're Catholic, you would understand uh, those terms. The point of the matter is this. We don't specifically know exactly what he was talking about in that but one of the commentators I read said, the truth of the matter is, the sin that ultimately leads to death is the sin that completely rejects Jesus. If Jesus is the source of eternal life, then the sin that would lead to death would be the one that completely rejects Jesus. And then at that point, the only prayer that you should be praying for that person, the only prayer that really matters is for their salvation and for them to come to Jesus. And again, look at what John is saying. He's not making a command. He's actually just making a clarification. He's not saying... Do not, do not ever. He's saying, I, I, let me clarify what I'm saying to all of you. I'm not kind of referring to this. So we're not really sure what there is, but we could be kind of hung up on all that negative side of it. The truth of the matter is, let's remember what he's actually saying. He's saying, pray, pray for each other. And that's a unique thing in the Christian faith. In the Jewish tradition, in the traditions of the pagan world that John was at, and in all of those religions at the time, someone couldn't just Stand in the gap and intercede for someone else. That was something that was reserved for priests. That was something that was reserved for prophets. Jesus comes and changes everything, and everyone now is granted access to God. There's an assurance of access, and we are allowed to come before him and present our requests to him. And he says, be confident in that. Be confident in your approach. 
Little side note, little side note. Sometimes passages like this are used to support uh, incorrect understandings of the Bible, like the prosperity gospel or the name it and claim it mentality. That's not what this is saying. Again, what did we talk about earlier? Our assurance of access to God is not in the outcome. Our assurance is in the one who determines the outcome. So he is providing assurance for that. And then he moves on. So he gives us assurance of life and assurance of uh, access. And then he gives us assurance of protection. He begins to talk about how when we come to Jesus, when, when we accept Jesus, when we choose to follow Jesus, there is a change of status. Not only has new life come, not only has eternal life come, but there is a change of status. We now are given the identity of children of God. And then we get something very, very interesting in this verse. Very, very interesting in verse 18. In verse 18, we hear this. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. There's two things that we learn from that. The first thing we learn is this. There is a very real enemy of God that wants to harm you. There is a spiritual side to life, yes, and there is a spiritual war to life, too. And there's a very real enemy that's trying to harm you. But that wasn't given to to you so that you could be afraid. There is a victorious king who has covered you, who has claimed you. You are now a child of God, and you cannot be harmed. That doesn't mean that you won't have pain. That doesn't mean there won't be heartbreak. It does mean that your eternal life is secure, and you are under the covering of the victorious king. There's an assurance of protection. An assurance of protection. Three assurances. Assurance of life assurance of access, and assurance of protection. So let's review so far, because there's a lot that we talked about, okay? There's a lot that we talked about so far. John enters in to this passage, and he wrote this letter in response to incorrect doctrine about Jesus, false teaching that had created division, that had created heartbreak, that had created disunity, that had created a crisis of faith. So he enters in, and what he begins to write is a testimony of Jesus. He writes a testimony of Jesus, and he begins to correct the narrative, and he begins to talk about that. And what he flows out of there is he begins to talk about eternal life. And what he says is that eternal life can only be had through Jesus. To have Jesus is to have life. That's non-negotiable. You need to understand that. And through that, he flows into these uh, words of assurance, an assurance of life, an assurance of access, an assurance of protection. So he gives a testimony, he gives assurance, and then he moves on and he gives one more word. He gives a word of guidance. A word of guidance. Let's look at the last verse in this letter. Okay? The last verse in this letter, verse 21. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. What? Where did that come from? Sometimes I talk to my wife. She's not here. And here's the deal with my wife. She likes to use way more words than I do. In fact, by the time I get home, I've already used up all my words today right here. I'm done with my words. My word count is done. This is a warm-up for her. She uses a lot of words. And so when we talk, she just talks and talks and talks. And and there's details. And they go all over the place. And I can't follow half the time. And she's giving illustrations that I don't understand. And I want to say... What's the point? 
But I don't say that. You know why I don't say that? Because I'm not dumb. <laughs> so I've learned some new language that I occasionally do, and this is what I will say. So what you're saying is, and I let her finish that statement because I don't know. <laughs> so what I'm hearing you say is, and I let her finish it, this is what happens often. I'll say, so what you're saying is, and then she'll say a sentence, and it comes out of nowhere. I'm like, how is that even remotely connected to what you were talking about? That's not even remotely connected to what you were talking about. They're completely different. Oh, I see. And you said, I get it now. That's ends up what ends up happening to me. I'm like, oh, she said this, this. I see how she got there. That's what I had with John when I was studying. I read this, I'm like, where in the world? You don't talk about idols at all in this letter. What, what is going on, John? What Did you like run out of ink? Like you were starting a new paragraph and you ran out of ink? You're like, all right, we're just going to send it off like this. Like, what is going on there? And the more that I thought about it, the more I was like, no, actually, actually, this is probably the best way to end this section. This is probably the best way to end the letter. John has been talking about the power of God's love throughout this whole letter. John has been talking about the power of loving one another. John has been talking about the assurance of salvation. John has been trying to encourage a church that has been divided by false teachings. And what John does is something very powerful. Now, the truth of the matter is, is that the church in this town called Ephesus would have been a town that had idols, would have been a town with temples that had idols, and that could be what he's talking about, but I don't think that's what John's doing. I actually think he's doing something a little more subtle than that. An idol is anything that comes between us and Jesus. An idol is anything that is placed in the spot where Jesus should be. That includes false narratives about Jesus. That includes what John is facing, because what ends up happening is that John is talking to people who have created an image of God that wasn't the true God. Instead, it was an incorrect, self-made version of God. There's all of this heresy. Heresy is just this completely incorrect belief system. There's all this heresy that's being spread in the church. And so the God that they're worshiping in the church, for some, isn't actually Jesus. It's a man-made version of Jesus. But here's the reality. We don't get to decide who Jesus is. He is who he is. And so if we worship a man-made version, if we worship a self-made version of Jesus, we're worshiping an idol. That's why John spends so much time being intentional, giving a testimony throughout this book about who Jesus is, about the doctrine of the Christ, setting those correct beliefs. John realizes that to deny any of the truth of Jesus or substitute any of the truth of Jesus or add to any of the truth of Jesus just distorts, distorts the picture of Jesus. And it creates an environment where the believer is no longer worshiping Jesus, but actually a self-made version of Jesus. He's like, don't do that. Don't do that. And so John tells him to be careful of anything that comes in the place of who Jesus is. Be careful. Because what John understands is that if we keep ourselves from idols, if we keep ourselves from them, we allow ourselves to truly belong to God. 
But look at the tone that John is using. I love the tone of John. I love this letter. I've begun to really appreciate John. John's not hammering people. John is not like taking out a baseball bat and swinging it. Look at the tone. Dear children, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. It's as if John was to sit down there and he's having a conversation and he's like, ah, oh, dear children, don't do that. Don't do that. You know why? Because I've just spent all this time just trying to reassure your faith. And, and when, you, when you place an idol into the picture, when, when, you, when you put something between you and Jesus, all of that assurance, it's going to get stripped away. It's going to blind you to the assurance of your faith. And again, I don't think John is talking about their salvation at this point. He spent so much time talking about uh, the assurance of salvation that I don't think that's what it is. I think what John's talking about is that how this congregation has been prone to look at these other incorrect belief systems, to look at other stuff aside from Jesus. And in the midst of looking at other stuff, they've begun to have a crisis of faith and they lose sight of the assurance that Jesus offers us. And what he's saying is, dear children, don't do that. Nothing belongs there. Nothing belongs where Jesus should be. I think at times I may struggle with that same thing. And here's how it plays out for me. Not necessarily incorrect doctrine, but there are some things that I just need to be in control of, right? That I don't let Jesus have. You see, when it comes to me, Jesus needs to have my entirety. He needs to have my everything. He needs to have all of me. All that I am, all that I have belongs to him. And when I hold on to some of that, what ends up happening is that I put myself in the position where Jesus should be, or I put something else in the position where Jesus should be. And that idol begins to block me of the assurance of my faith. And what ends up happening is that I begin to have a crisis of faith. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. What is it that I just can't trust Jesus with, that I can't hold on, that I have to hold on to? Is, is it my family that I just can't, I can't let go of this. This is my family. Like you can control everything else, but not this. My, my financial um, situation, like no, no, you can hold on to all of that. Uh, the bitterness that I have towards that person. You could get, take all that, but you can't hold this. What is it that I'm holding on to so much that I take the place where Jesus should be because I don't belong there and no one else belongs there. There is no idol that belongs there. It needs to be gone. I don't know about you, but there are definitely some things that I need to kind of work out with God and be like, this thing I'm holding on to, it doesn't belong to me. Forgive me for trying to take your place. And so actually, we're going to do that today. There's some sticky notes around the chairs in front of you. For those of you online, you could either post on the chat feature, or you can post on Facebook, or you can send us an email or call us. But if you're in a room in Quakertown or Sargent, there's some sticky notes around you. You can go ahead and grab them. There's two things that I want to happen today. We're done with First John. If you did not realize this, by the time we finish this letter, here's what you should know. God loves you. 
God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And he wants you to accept that love. He wants you to accept Jesus. So what you can write on these sticky notes is this. One or two things. For some of us, we need to let go of something. We're putting ourselves in the spot where Jesus is supposed to be, or we're putting something else in the spot where Jesus is supposed to be. What is it that we're holding on to so tightly that we need to let go and let Jesus have control over? I just want you to write that down. Just write it down. We're going to sing a song in a moment. And at the end of the service, we want you to head out and stick that sticky note right on the wall that says Jesus changes everything. And we want you to give that to Jesus. For some of you in this room, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus. You've heard through the series possibly all about this stuff about God loving you. Well, he desires for you to love him back. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. That's it. There are no hoops. So for you, what we would love for you to write, if you want to make a decision to actually follow Jesus today, all we want you to write is me. Me. And you stick that on that wall. You're giving control of your entire self to Jesus. We're going to sing a song. You can continue to sit there and you can continue to write. You can continue to pray. If there's nothing that you want to write, you can pray for those around you. But we're going to take some time to let go of some things and give Jesus complete control today. Let me pray for you. Lord, I ask you that you would begin to just work in our hearts and fill us with your love today. But I ask you that whatever it is that we're holding on to that we just can't let go of, I ask you that you would allow us to give you control. That whatever it is that is in your place, that has taken your place, whatever it is that's become an idol for us, that you would allow us to just surrender that to you. And for anyone in this room that is just wrestling with the decision to follow you, give them the peace, give them the courage, give them the strength to make that decision today. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.